too late, and I'm aware of the time, and I'm, I'm going to keep going. Last week, we talked about a time when the southern kingdom of Judah was in exile after they had been conquered by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. About 50 years into their exile from their homeland, King Cyrus uh, and the Persians defeated the Babylonians, and they were now the ones in charge of, of Judah. And so in that message last week, we looked at how Cyrus allowed a group of about 50,000 people to return to the homeland and rebuild the sacred temple that was originally built by King Solomon. But now that, that temple that Solomon built laid in ruins. Well, they finally got that second temple built, and 60 years later, after the temple was, that second temple was built, there were still problems in Judah. Not only had the religious leaders started marrying pagan wives, and, 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 and really they slipped back into sin, but the people were still not physically safe either. What I mean by that is the Babylonians earlier had destroyed their city walls. And back then, if you had a city without walls, the Bible actually compares to the way we have our spirit. If, if, if we can't control our spirit, we're like a city without walls. Well, if you had a city in Bible times and you didn't have walls around the city, that was a death sentence. It was just a matter of time and you would be destroyed. You needed city walls. So here they rebuild the second temple and they have no city walls. City walls stay lay, laying in ruins. And so Judah needed a strong civic leader who would come in and help them rebuild the walls of the city. Someone who could withstand the opposition of local enemies. Someone who could keep people motivated to see a task through to the end. If you're in any form of leadership, either secular or religious, you know that it is sometimes challenging to lead someone through to seeing a task to the end. And so someone who couldn't, who make sure that the people didn't make the same mistakes that they made when they were rebuilding that second temple, when they started an altar and then 20 years later, the altar was done, but they, the, the, the temple wasn't. So they needed someone who would come and help them through that. Well, God calls a man named Nehemiah. In Nehemiah 1.1, 1, 1, it says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity, and hey, you know, I heard 50,000 people went back. I heard kind of about the temple. What's going on? What's new? They said things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates were destroyed by fire. And when I heard this Nehemiah's memoir say, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Today, I want to preach on this topic, the birthplace of ministry the birthplace of ministry. Jesus, God, thank you so much, Lord, for every man, woman, and child who makes it a point to be here, Lord God, either tuning in online, here in person. God, I am just so thankful, Lord, for your great grace and loving kindness and mercy. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we have your word that we can look at and then study it, and we can hear messages right from you and your word. God, let it impact our lives and hearts and minds in such a marvelous way. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, 
uh, church, I just invite you to just raise your voice right now to just to pray with me. Don't just don't just listen to me. Pray with me right now that that God would touch your heart and your mind. He would touch the hearts and minds of those around you. Touch the hearts and minds of those watching online. I want to have a church right now that just binds together in prayer and receives the word that God is about to give. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, let your word be so powerful in our lives. It's already powerful. That doesn't need help, but it needs to be powerful in our lives. And we dictate a lot of the influence that your word is going to have by what we allow. So, Lord, I pray let us allow it today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, thank you. So last week, we look at the rebuilding of the second temple. Today, we look at the rebuilding of the city walls. I find it interesting that the people of God followed a pattern that we should also follow. They started with an altar. They got something powerful going in the church. And then they went outside the church walls to the city walls. They started with the altar, went, got it going in the church, and then took it to the city and the city walls. Our opening scripture passage introduces us to this man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah served in the Persian throne room as he was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. And so from everything I can tell, Brother Foster, he's just a, he's a Bible scholar. You can talk to him if you disagree, and he can set me straight, you straight, and you, can log, and you guys can study the Bible together later. But from everything that I see, Artaxerxes was the son of Xerxes and Vashti. Now, who's that? That's interesting. If you remember, Vashti was the queen who was banished by Xerxes when she would not come before him in a drunken stupor. And so he ousted her out of the kingdom and chose a new queen by the name of Esther. So from what I can tell in Scripture, Nehemiah is the cupbearer for Esther, Queen Esther's stepson. It's interesting how God aligned his people with pagan and wicked leaders, as scripture says in Esther, for such a time as this. Nehemiah obviously served with excellence, just as others we read about in the Bible. Esther, Nehemiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, assassinations in those days, they took place regularly. So one of the things that a cupbearer would do is the cupbearer would drink the, the wine or the drink or the juice. They would drink it before the king would drink it. So if that was poisoned and someone was plotting an assassination, the cupbearer dies and not the king. Isn't that a great job? There's a payoff for living in the palace. Hey, you'll get a palace job. You will live in a comfortable home. You work in the palace. But you drink everything before the king does in case there's an assassination attempt. You die and not him. Where do I sign up? (laughs) But through the years of his service, Nehemiah gained the complete confidence of King Artaxerxes. and, And he served with such an incredible spirit that look what the king first notices about him when something is wrong. Nehemiah 2.1, it says, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king in his wine, in his wine, and he says, I had never before appeared sad in his presence. Can anyone here say that in all the years that you've worked your job at your employment, that your boss would say, they have never appeared sad in my presence? I don't see any hands going up because some of us are like, good, I'm going to work 
20 hours. I can't. Like, I've never appeared sad. And hold on here a second. This guy was in exile, serving in a palace to a king and people he did not love and he did not choose. How was he able to, to have joy in his heart every day? To me, it sounds a lot like joy is a choice more than a circumstance that's forced upon us. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified. Glad we get to read these memoirs. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? The city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said, well, how can I help you? A pagan king that does not serve Yahweh, that does not believe in Jehovah, that does not serve the God that he serves, says, hey, based on your spirit, based on your level of excellence to which you serve, I want to be a part of helping you. Maybe that's why scripture tells us to do everything wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. When you go to work tomorrow, you are a testimony to the Lord God that you serve even wherever you work. He says, well, uh, I replied, if it pleased the king and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah. This guy is really stepping out. I know I'm your cupbearer, but can someone else taste your drink for assassination plots? So I can go back. And work, and he says, send me to Judah, rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king and the queen sitting beside him asked, well, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And I told him how long I'd be gone, and the king agreed to my request. Nehemiah was obviously a man with a great spirit, great character. God calls him. He has a burden for his people. He serves his pagan king with excellence. His spirit and demeanor are testimonies in themselves, and he's bold As he asked the king for such an amazing request. Where does this come from now? In churches and at our jobs, we want these kind of people alongside of us. People who are faithful and hardworking, respectful. They carry themselves with a smile on their face. They're bold, strong. People who want to be a difference in the world. If that's not you, be that person. But we want those people on our jobs. So how do we get there? Well, Too often, I think, in churches, we make the mistake by emphasizing systems, giving, serving, forgiving, commitment, leadership. Don't get me wrong. Those things are all crucial, crucial to any organization, but to the church. These things are important. We need structure in the church. We all need to be willing to give of ourselves and our finances, resources to bless the kingdom, local church, the entire kingdom of God. We must be willing to forgive those who wronged us. Do you think that Nehemiah ever thought twice about serving a king who, told, who, who held him and his friends and family in exile? Think Nehemiah ever said, man, I just don't feel like working for this guy no more. But he chose joy daily. And all these things, he said, you know, we, we got to be committed to the task at hand. Let's go to a leadership conference. Let's fly in someone for children's ministry training like we did recently. All these things are great and helpful, but these are not the starting points of what made Nehemiah great. Nehemiah didn't have these traits that we're talking about because of schooling or his donation statement to the church or how many ministries he served in, how many leadership conferences he attended, or his family name. 
What Nehemiah, what made Nehemiah who he was and what made him get God's attention, what made him a giver and not a taker, what made him passionate about people, what made him desire to do everything with excellence, what developed the burden that he had in his heart for people is found in Scripture. Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard this, I sat down and wept for days. I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah 1.6, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night for your people, Israel. God, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my family, my own family and I have sinned. Verse 11, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who, of us who delight in honoring you. Grant me success today by making the king favorable to me, to put, put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. How about Nehemiah 2, 4, and 5? The king asked, well, how can I help? And with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleased the king, let me go and work. Nehemiah 4, 8, 9, they made plans to us once the walls start getting built. He had enemy opposition, and it says they made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem, throw us into confusion, and verse 9 says, but we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. See, folks, I want you to see when there was a problem, Nehemiah prayed. When there was a burden... Nehemiah prayed. When he didn't know what to do next, he prayed. When it was time for an important meeting, he prayed. When the Lord was working, when he was working for the Lord and the, and the enemy surrounded him in the midst of his calling, he stopped and he prayed. Prayer is the birthplace of ministry. Too often we hear this and, and, and no doubt you say, okay, yeah, that's, that's elementary. We've heard that, of course. Yeah, that's a given. That, that's... No-brainer. But how often do the people like us who know these things, an important meeting comes and we rush right into the meeting. A big test comes up in school and we just got to study more. And, and nobody says don't study. Nobody says don't prepare for the meeting. But preparation is not the most important part of the meeting. Study is not the most important part of the test. At some point, we've got to live our lives saying, God, I can't go into a meeting without prayer. I can't go into a day without prayer. I can't go into a test without prayer. I can't go into a conversation without prayer. I can't go on a date and start a romantic relationship with someone without prayer. Because everything I do, I want to be led by your spirit. God, I want you to lead me, to guide me, to direct me. Prayer is the birthplace of ministry. Prayer is essential for anyone who desires to live a godly life and carry out effective ministry. I've seen far too many ministers, unfortunately, already in my short life, because so many people have, I've seen people fall because either they, they thought they were too busy to pray or maybe too important to pray. And God help me to never get to the place where I think that I already have the answers that I don't have to pray because I already know the answers. God help me because you know what? God loves us so much that if he thinks you have the answers to what you don't have to pray for, guess what he will do? He will bring a next season of circumstances that you won't have answers to to teach you to pray. 
That's not even just always a punishment. Sometimes that's, that is the love of God that says, okay, you think you got this? I'm going to throw you the next set of things because I want a relationship with you so bad that I want you to, to bow a knee and to call my voice and to call my name. I've preached about Nehemiah before, but it's always been messages about courage, about the fact that this guy went back. They, took, they rebuilt the altar, the, the altar 20 years later. The temple's still not rebuilt. This dude did the whole city walls in 52 days. I've preached a message about the, the drive, the leadership principles. I've preached a message about standing strong against opposition. I've preached a message where I stood on a ladder and said, just keep building. I've preached some pretty, pretty I, I like to think some pretty powerful messages about Nehemiah. But I don't think we're talking about 52 days getting the walls done. I don't think that he leads the easily distracted people to do so. I don't think he withstands the attacks and of the enemy if Nehemiah is not first a man of prayer. His first ministry is not rebuilding walls. It's not a cupbearer to the king. It is the ministry of being a man of of prayer. Prayer is what provided the power to be who he was called to be and do what he was called to do. Prayer is the birthplace of ministry. Without prayer, Nehemiah is just a faithful cupbearer serving a pagan king in exile. Without prayer, that's all he is. He's just a good man that serves a faithful king in exile. And I just, I look at this, without prayer, we, we don't have a book entitled the book of Nehemiah. Without prayer, it's, we're not going to get a whole book about a good guy who has a smile on his face every day when he goes to work and he serves a pagan king and drinks his wine before he tastes it. We don't have a biblical book because he's a talented leader who went through a leadership session and, and gives a lot to the church and he has an education and, and he has a position. We don't, we don't read about a, a Nehemiah if he's not a man of prayer. And, and I just feel this conviction when I read this because I go, man, Lord, how many of me and how, what about me and my family? How many people in the church do we have that have a smile on their face, a good spirit, work a good job and are faithful like Nehemiah? But we have not yet got to the place where we drop to our knees and call on the name of the Lord and say, God, I need you to lead my decision, my next step. I need you to lead me into this test, into this job, into what you want me to do next. That's truly what God desires for his people is to be led by his spirit at all times. And so I wonder how many people are faithful, good, godly Christians that serve in great positions, but God is looking at you going, yes, but I have something so far beyond where you are right now. But what it is being held up on is you are not yet a person of prayer. And that speaks to me because I say, God, I know we have a good church and I'm blessed to serve as a pastor and a beautiful family and all these things. But what could I be if I gave myself more to the ministry of prayer? Where every day prayer started becoming more important than it's ever been to this point. Well, are you not praying? No, 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 no. And there's no doubt all of us are people of prayer and we spend some time in prayer and we call on the name of the Lord daily. I know you personally and I know that. But I'm talking about another level of prayer where we begin to seek the face of God in a way that we have never before. I always have heard it said, we can have as much of God as we want. It's just a matter of how much of, we, of ourselves are we willing to give. 
I think through this and I can't help but think, where would I be? What would I do? Who could I be if I just was more of a man of prayer? Giving is needed. Serving is crucial. Faithfulness is a must. Holiness and separation are still as important as ever. Leading with wisdom is necessary. Kindness and compassion should be a a, a given in every church. But nothing is as important as prayer. And I believe all of those other things that I just mentioned, that is not to put them on the back burner. Well, you're telling me not to give. You're telling me not to serve. You're telling me not to, not to have kindness, compassion. You're telling me not to, to go and to try to better myself as a leader. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is when you say my main priority is I will be a man or a woman who touches the throne daily in prayer, guess what's going to happen? Loving compassion will become a, a, a natural offspring of that relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't have to focus so much on all the other stuff because those things are birthed out of spending time with Jesus Christ. I can preach about every topic under the sun. I touched on this a little bit, I think, on Wednesday. I can preach about every topic under the sun. I could do it with, I mean, if I prayed and fasted and God allowed me to just do it in a masterful way, beyond my human abilities. I, 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 if, if all of a sudden they said, you said, wow, that was the most amazing speaking you've ever done. And I just studied it for hours. And I preached about every single topic under the sun. If we said, we know, we have the greatest COVID plan out of any church in the whole, all of humanity, this church has the greatest COVID plan. I could write the most amazing Bible study that, that, oh, wow, we could go teach this to people. We could have a stewardship campaign with results that blow away expectations. We could have someone in the community literally hand us a building. I mean, they would say, this building is free. Here's the keys. We want nothing for it. It's a tax write-off, and it's yours. All these things could be amazing but at the end of the day if we get given a building and given this and and God anoints me to speak this great message with great oratory I mean like none of that matters if we're not people of prayer oh what if we were given another building it doesn't matter if we're not people of prayer Literally nothing matters. See, that's the thing. And I, that's what I say. I touched on a Wednesday. I could sit and I could preach a message about giving or we need to serve. We need to worship. We need to love holiness. We need to do these things. And, we could, and I can show you scripture for all these things. But at the end of the day, if, if we're not spending time in the presence of Jesus Christ, the responses to his word preached from a pulpit are just temporary. I am not in, that's why in Wednesday nights, I know not, not every single Wednesday night is, is, a, is, a, is a blowing and going altar call. Because sometimes what I'm purposely spending time on on a Wednesday night and our principles for life is not necessarily just a push to have a great altar call that day. Sometimes it is for us to examine ourselves, pray, and walk out of this door and say, now I'm going to do something about what I just heard. Now I'm actually going to place and and, and begin to put some of these things, these principles, into my life. Because for me, don't get me wrong, I want, and I'm getting ready to touch on that, I want powerful altar calls. I want this is a place where people's lives, they make commitments and change, and God sets people free. I believe in the power of the altar, but I don't believe only in the altar. 
the power of the altar. What I'm saying by that is I want us to approach an altar and then walk out and say what I just responded to at that altar, now I want to get that invest. I want to do something in my life. I want to, I want to plant something in my life that where I make changes, where I make choices. Because too often, I've been in Pentecost now since I was seven years old. Too often, I've seen people wipe snot off their nose and, and cry tears to their voice, where, to the place where their voice is hoarse. And they get up in 24 hours later, it's right back to the way I used to live. And so no message necessarily will change that. What changes that is when a man, a woman, a child is, is says, you know what? I made a choice at an altar to make a decision to live for God, to stand for him. But then I made another choice the next day that said, I can't go into this day without talking to you. I can't go into this meeting without being led by your spirit. God, I can't go into this next day of my life without hearing your voice and spending time in your presence and talking to you, Jesus. Nothing, nothing will matter. Nothing, nothing will matter. Not how much we take in in a campaign, not what type of building we're given by someone in the community, not type of building we build. Nothing, nothing will matter. Nothing will matter. Not one thing will matter if we are not people of prayer. Nothing will matter if we're not people of prayer. That's why once again, like we do every quarter, this is the last one of 2020. I call on everyone to join me in the next two weeks at some point for a time of three days of prayer and fasting. Sometime this week, sometime next week, whatever works in your schedule. But a time of prayer and a time of fasting, there's something about when the church unifies together and says, we're going to do this together. It's not fun. I don't know people that say, man, I'm looking forward. This is going to be so fun, not eating for three days. It's not fun. But it's where a church says, no, 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 the flesh will not rule in my city. The power and presence of God is going to have dominion to do what it wants to do in the city of Liberty and the surrounding areas. And so I'm going to bind together with people of like precious faith, and I'm going to begin to pray, and I'm going to begin to fast. But people will say, well, yeah, well, just let me remind you. This is not a prophetic word. It's just I've seen it based on precedent. Every single time that we have joined together for a time of prayer and fasting, craziness hits. Like, I do the most counseling that I ever do in pastoring in 11 years. It's always right, right during or, during or right after a time of prayer and fasting. Well, man, when we pray and fast, all hell breaks loose. Well, what do you expect? I mean, prayer and fasting is, it's moving. I, I just, I don't want to be a part of a church that's always in defensive position. Just trying to, don't hurt me. Just trying to survive. Just don't hurt me. I want to be a part of a church that every once in a while we just, we go up to the gates of hell. Hey, y'all been messing with my city too much. Y'all been messing with my family, my kids, my marriage. I'm just here to let you know that I'm sick and tired of it. I'm just here to let you know that I am filled with the Spirit. 
I just read today in the book of Mark where Jesus, before he even spoke, that when he walked up, when it literally says, when the spirits saw him, they fell at his feet. i just here to say, hey, guys, I just want you to know, the same one that you were so scared of, that you fell when you just saw him in the building, or saw him walking, and you fell down in fear, I just want you to know that that same spirit is what fills my life. And I'm here to let you know know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And so you know what? I know maybe I've been hiding for too long, but I'm just here to let you know that I'm still fighting. And you know what? You might have think that I got a little weak, but open up the door, someone. Come on out. Because I want you to know that I'm not fighting alone. But my entire church is declaring war in this whole entire city where you think you had a stronghold. You think that you had dominion. And we're standing up and reminding you, you never had dominion. And you certainly don't right now. Because I am a spirit-filled child of God, and I've taken on the name of Jesus when I went down in the waters of baptism. And so, yes, I'm fasting. Yes, I'm praying, not just for myself, not just for my family. It's a whole lot more. That's a beautiful song. But if you think that you can protect your children by just saying, and my children, and your children, and their children, and their children, and you leave and say, good. I sang a song. We're good to go. No, no, no. That's a beautiful song, but that better be paired with, I'm a person who is going to pray. I'm going to fast. If you know what, we've been having so many problems in our house, and my kids have been doing this, and my wife, my husband been doing this. It's time that someone begins to walk around their home and say, I pray in the name of Jesus over this dining room table. God, I pray right now, oh Lord, that that screen is no longer going to show images in sounds that are contrary to your kingdom and your commands. God, I pray right now over this over this bedroom, over my child as they sleep, all the nightmares they've been having. God, I lay my hand on my child's head right now, and I'm fasting, and I'm letting the enemy know, get yourself, pack your bags, and get up out of this house. You are not welcome to be in this home. You know what? This kind of preaching stirs something up in the spiritual realm. So be sensitive enough to know that when stuff starts to happen, don't cry and throw in the towel and say, I quit. I'm not going to church Sunday. I've had a bad week. You better remember your pastor saying that we're getting ready to stir some things up in the spiritual realm. It's not always easy, but I promise you, if you stay faithful and strong, you win. And so, yes, join me. Oh, it's not just prayer and fasting, not eating. No, no, no. It's an invitation to join me in a spiritual battle. Join me in the next two weeks as we declare war on hell, death, the devil. As we remind the demonic realm that we are the ones that reign supreme in this area. Why? Because of the God that we serve, the God that we are filled with. Every day I say, God, I stand on four things. I stand on the blood of Calvary, the word 
word that I the word, the Bible, the name of Jesus and the spirit that fills me. You know what? That makes me so stinking powerful. I, I just I get to stand on the word of God, the spirit that fills me, the blood of Calvary in the name of Jesus. Far as I can tell, based on everything I've read in scripture, that makes me pretty close to invincible. Because nothing can stand against the word of God, the name of Jesus, the spirit, and the blood. And I got all four. Hey, we can all try and do this. Give more, serve more, lead more, read more, work more, study more. And I think a lot of us, we don't, we do that. And we think it's all great and it is good. Because I think there are times we do need to read more, lead more, work more, study more, give more, serve more. And we're going to find out that when we do that, we'll get more. But when we shift in our lives to where every meeting at work, every Bible study, every Sunday school class, every test we take in school, every time we go handle a conflict with someone. Oh, I'm in conflict with someone. So I needed to take it to someone. So I called sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. Listen, you're breaking scripture. You're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting the person you call and you're breaking, uh, you're, you're, you're aiming to break something that is the culture of this church. And don't do that. When you, when, you, when you go through something, the first thing is like Nehemiah. I fall to my knees, and before I go handle that conflict with someone no one else needs to know, I'm going to go to that person right face to face, and I'm going to do it prayed up, not angry. Every day we wake up and proceed to walk into in our area of personal mission that God's called us, and we bathe each situation every day, every interaction in a time of prayer. We will see what God's able to do. So remember this. If we continually work hard and focus, we will get what we can do. And I think that's good. I think you should work hard. I think you should focus. Focusing middle school, elementary school, junior high, high school, college, universities, doctorate programs, on your job, in the, in the corporate world. I think we should. If we continually work hard and focus, we will get what we can do. But when we continually pray fast and seek the face of God, we will start to experience the things that only God can do. I think that this church, I have a word for you right now. We have done an absolutely amazing job doing everything that we can do. We have reached people. We're friendly. We have let people know they're welcome here. We've remodeled beautiful sanctuary, new technology. Everything looks great, sounds great. It's inviting. We have done everything that we can do, but we have now reached the place as a church where we have gone as far as we can go with all that we can do. And now the church needs to enter a time of prayer and fasting to be led by his spirit where we say, God, I have done everything that I can do. Now I need you to step in and begin to do the things that only you can do. When you read in the New Testament, everybody followed Jesus everywhere, and he did miracles, and they were coming just for their comfort. They wanted to see their loved ones healed, touched, saved. They came for the magic shows. You know, they, they just thought it was awesome. But what that did is every sign, wonder, and miracle paved the way for the New Testament church to grow. Right now, it's not going to be the lights or the, or the preaching or the singing that gets someone to say, no, oh, that's a great church. You need to go to the refuge church. But when they start to say, no, 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 that, that place, there was someone who was 
blind and literally walked out and they can see. There was someone who was lame or paralyzed that they walked out of that place. There was someone who walked in there and they had a broken bone. They had to, and literally all of a sudden they went like that and, and they could move. I mean, like when that stuff starts to happen, that is, that's the stuff that only God can do. And that's the place where God is calling us to go next. If you believe that, I want you to just raise your hand right now and just begin to claim that. Just begin to say, Jesus, I claim that right now in your name, God. Lord, we've gone as far as we can go on what we can do. Lord Jesus, we need you right now. And the way that that's going to happen is it's when a, a, a body of believers begins to pray, begins to walk in the Spirit. Every church service, every day, every job site, every place you go, it's where God, you know why? Because the miracles God wants to do are not just going to be at an altar in front of the pulpit. The miracles that God, hear me right now, someone, I'm giving you a word, that the miracles God God wants to do are going to happen in classroom settings. They're going to happen uh, uh, sitting across the desk from someone who works with you, for you, or you work for them. It's going to be at lunch meetings. It's going to be on the bus. It's going to be in, in various settings where if you will begin to walk in the Spirit, and the way you walk in the Spirit is being a man or a woman of prayer. You cannot walk in the Spirit and not be a person of prayer. In response to his hometown, Jerusalem's condition, Nehemiah spends four months, four months in intensive intercessory prayer. What is going on right now in your local community? Church, people are hurting. Some of you right here today, right now, you're hurting. The walls of your heart are torn down just like the walls, the literal walls of Nehemiah. You're exposed to the enemy right now. There are people who need someone to have a burden for them, not just to show up at their door and tell them what's wrong. Your doctrine's wrong. The, you go to the wrong church. You worship wrong. You don't believe in the, you believe in the wrong God. You, the, you, you dress wrong. You listen to wrong things. You do wrong stuff. And that's not what anyone needs. They need someone who shows up in their life, who says, I am here because I felt a burden for you. I am here because I was just doing my job and doing it as well as I could. And God showed up. And all of a sudden, I became aware of your situation. And ever since then, for the last four months, I've been praying and fasting for you because I have a burden for you. Why? Because birth, the birthplace of ministry is prayer. Nehemiah becomes known for rebuilding walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. But I'd make that, I would make an argument that I will stand on forever. Nehemiah does nothing without a passion for prayer. Church, I want to see a revival in our church. I want to see a revival, not just, oh, a people growing. No, no, I want to see a revival for a passion for prayer. Before COVID, we were having some powerful moves of of God at our altars. We were having people doing just, oh, they were responding and praying and, and, and just God was doing great things and people were weeping and spending long periods of time at the altar. But then we came back from COVID and, and I understand because we were so thrilled to see each other again. And, you know, we've been in isolation. And, and so, you know, we come in with stickers on. If you got a green sticker, we're like picking each other off the floor. We're like, oh, give me a hug. I missed you. We just missed each other so much. So now when church ends, we're just so excited to interact with each other. 
each other. And I get it, I'm the same way. But what has happened since we've come back from COVID is if we had a little bit of, little bit of mix of praying, but we're praying and getting up. And while people around us are weeping and crying and praying, we're laughing and carrying on and we're catching the shooting the breeze and catching up with each other. We've got to guard ourselves against that. Because this altar, this time, and just a few moments when I'm about to be done here, we're going to respond to God in an altar. And no doubt some of you are going to walk around and be led to pray with people. And there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, man, how's it going? You doing all right? Praise God. And just greet someone because you're walking around and trying to pray with someone. But if there's going to be an extended conversation where there's laughing and, and sharing plans and talking about the barbecue or fantasy football teams or stuff, that stuff needs to get out into the foyer. Because at the end of a message, the word of God has just gone forth to someone. And people are in, their, their, their eternal lives and decisions are hanging in the balance. They're sitting here and they're praying about whether or not they're going to step into ministry. Whether or not they're going to get baptized. Whether or not they really want to pursue the infilling of the spirit that day. Whether or not they want to live a life of holiness. And, and they're sitting there and they're, they're debating these things. And they're talking to the Lord about these things. And God's moving. We cannot be distracted by a conversation that's going on right next to them. Now don't get me wrong, we wouldn't, we never want to lose that camaraderie and that friendship that we have here. But if it's going to be an extended conversation, we've got to get it out the building. Because right now, in just a moment, God's getting ready to do some things right now. He's getting ready to fill some people. He's getting ready to refill some people. He's getting ready to call some people. He's getting ready to give peace to some situations. And that's why Jesus said, my house will be called the house of prayer. He got angry one time when things were not, were going on in the temple that made the climate not conducive to prayer. I want the environment to be such that after preaching, we're setting time aside where we focus on nothing but responding to God in prayer. This time of prayer might be the most important moment of someone's life today. Nehemiah immediately, and I'm almost done, Nehemiah immediately felt the burden when he heard about the walls still in ruins. The church. How many times do we feel a burden in our church services? Have you ever felt a burden in any church service you've ever sat in? I think we all have. At some point or another, we felt a burden. How many times have we felt a burden for our community? I would reason that this happens a ton. But I would also reason that the burden that we experience so frequently, it goes away rather quickly. Let's be real. We can't change if we're always fake. Let's be real. Let's be real. We've all experienced a burden, but that burden goes away rather quickly. Because here's what it is. A burden is just a minor inconvenience without prayer. Some of you have felt a burden to pray. Just this message. That burden, it cannot be satisfied by one altar call. A burden is just a minor inconvenience. I just have such a burden for my city. 
such a burden for ministry, such a burden for the children, such a burden for, for my neighbors, such a burden for my family, such a burden for my marriage. And Lord Jesus, wait, we come to the altar, we weep, oh God. And we walk out, and that's it. A burden cannot be a minor inconvenience. Because when God lays a burden on our hearts, it's an invitation to pray. God places a burden on your heart to turn you to him. It's an invitation to pray and bring it to him. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. I don't want to be the person who just approaches an altar, bows a knee, sheds a tear, say how sad it is. Oh, God, help me. Hope God sends someone else and I get up and just go back to life. A burden is just a minor inconvenience without prayer. You see, to, to, to Nehemiah, look what he does. Nehemiah 1.3, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace and just think about where we are right now in 2020 in society and humanity and our neighbors and neighborhoods and our communities and just wonder if we were completely out of the area and somebody came to us and tried to describe what was going on in our community and we said well, hey how things going I haven't been there in so long man things are tough social unrest, there's riots, there's elections coming up, this, it's divisive, people are, they don't feel the love and the unity, humanity seems like it's against each other, things are crazy right now. COVID hit and people are kind of scared and unsure about what to do and how to interact and I just feel like I used to be connected and even the church, I'm not sure, yet. of Jerusalem have been torn down. The gates are destroyed by fire. Things are just not going as well as I'd like them to go, Nehemiah. What does Nehemiah do? Verse 4 tells us. He says, when I, when I heard this, all of a sudden all the I was working in the king's court and I was doing a good job and I was faithful and things were going well in my life. Things were pretty smooth for me. But when I heard it, I had a burden. And when I heard it, I immediately, I sat down and I just started to weep. In fact, for days I mourned. I fasted. Prayed to God. Before I rebuilt walls, went before a king, anything, it all started with a burden. A burden that I decided to do something with. Church, when is the last time that you heard about something or someone and it moved you so much? that you had to stop what you were doing and have a seat 
than just begin to weep. And just to begin to cry out to God. And notice Nehemiah does not just have an altar call. And then he goes back to being a cupbearer. Nehemiah had an altar call. And then he said, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to go to a king and have a tough conversation. I'm going to ask for leave. I'm going to go and get in the field. I'm going to go make a difference in my city. If I need to travel, I'll travel. If it needs to, if it's going to cost me, it's going to cost me. But I ain't going to just sit here. I'm going to do something to make a difference. But if he'd have just said, I'm going to go right now. Let's, I don't think we have a book of Nehemiah. But he prayed at the burden. He prayed before the meeting. He prayed when the, when the enemies tried to shut down the project. He, just, he was just a man of prayer. We don't read him being a priest. But you see, sometimes the priests, the pastors, the evangelists, they're not the ones that have the greatest impact. Sometimes it's those working in the civic fields who become people of prayer. And say, I'm going to be spirit-led. I'm going to walk around with boldness. I'm going to pray before every situation. I'm going to have God lead me. But the birthplace of ministry is, is what you're about to do right now. It's a place of prayer. But it cannot be limited to an altar call. When's the last time that you felt such a burden? a family member, a city, a community, a church, a person, an individual, a circumstance that you say, I got to just stop and I have got to get into a time of prayer with the Lord right now. I want to begin to fast because the burden's so heavy and I don't want it to be a minor inconvenience. God, help me, Jesus. Speak to your church right now. If there's anyone here right now that's feeling that burden and that calling, now is the time to begin to respond. Now is the time to begin to get out of your seat and approach an altar and to find a place to pray, to begin to intercede for a person, a situation, a city, a community, a church, an election, a social issue, whatever it is where you begin to find a place. call out to Jesus. God is calling this church to a time of prayer and fasting that is going to prepare us for a season where we see things from Him that we've never seen before. But in order to get the miraculous and build a wall, a city wall in 52 days, He first needs some people who are going to be people of prayer and fasting.
fire on my altar never burn out. The fire on my altar never burn out. May the fire on my altar never burn out. Make me a house of prayer. May the fire on my altar never burn out. The fire on my altar never burn out. The fire on my altar never burn out. Make me a house of Fire on my altar, never burn out. The fire on my altar. 